Conrad. Come on down. Now, uh, anytime somebody makes a commitment to follow Jesus, we want to publicly acknowledge that. Uh, in this past week, this guy right here made a decision to follow Jesus. Um, now, if you don't know, Conrad is also my son. Uh, so this one, all of these baptisms are special. This one's extra special to me, though, because I've known this guy since birth. Uh, I cut the umbilical cord that released you into the world. Uh, so anyway, go ahead and take that. Sit down, buddy. I love you. Um, but we acknowledge that publicly every week, and it's cool because the crossings of the church, well, just about every week somebody's given their life to the Lord. And so we're able to bring them up here and present them and be like, hey, this happened, what's our job now? As our older, brother, as older brothers and sisters in the faith, uh, our job is to shepherd that person. Our job is to take care of that person. When a baby's born, you don't just toss a baby into the world and say, fend for yourself, sucker, right? Uh, it doesn't work like that. You need caregivers. You need people there to take care of that baby. And spiritually, it's the same way, guys. There are lessons that some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time just take for granted now. There are things that you've learned and picked up. You need to understand a baby hasn't learned that stuff yet. And so if we're going to have a healthy church, if we're going to be a healthy family for new believers, we need to make sure we're paying extra special attention to those new believers among us. And guys, there are a lot of us here. Uh, so we just kind of need to acknowledge where we are and learn what we need to so we can move forward and, uh, and be okay. We're starting a new series today called No Way Out. We'll be in this for just a few weeks in the summer. Um, and if you've ever been lost before, you know that that's a very unpleasant feeling, right? All of us have been lost on some level at some point in our life. Most of us probably were driving somewhere. Uh, we get lost. There may be even a couple in here who have gotten lost to the point that it has caused a risk to your health. And what I mean by that is physically lost to the point where you didn't know which way was which. There's only one time in my life that I've really gotten lost like that. It was when I was tracking a deer. Uh, in the forest in the middle of the night and eventually kind of lost my sense of direction to the point that in the middle of this forest I did not know which way was north south east or west and I was just kind of walking a direction hoping I would come out somewhere now eventually I came out and I was fine it wasn't any big deal uh, I was just lost for a little while like that but it was disconcerting for that hour or so that I didn't know where I was in the forest in the middle of the night how much more disconcerting would it be if you were like lost at sea, right? Let's say that there's a shipwreck and I've read some stories about people who have been lost at sea and they're stuck on a board or they're stuck on a life raft and they have no way to know how to navigate to land because they have no sense of direction. And as they're lost at sea, they sort of uh, start to lose hope over time as food runs out and as water runs out. And I just want you to imagine being in a place like that. You don't know which direction is which. You don't know which way to safety is which. You're going to head a direction, but you're really not sure it's going the right way. You could be going further away from where you need to be. You're not really sure there's going to be anything uh, to look forward to, and, and that little inner voice, you know, that's trying to coach you in the beginning, oh, it's not so bad, oh, it'll be okay, oh, somebody's going to come along eventually, eventually that little voice, the tone changes inside, right, oh, it's not going to be okay, oh, you're never going to get out of here, oh, you're going to die, you're for sure going to die, oh, this is going to be a horrible way to die, starving, and, 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 you know, and that little voice becomes a little, little demon inside you, right, what a horrible situation to be in. 
Now, we could be in that physically. Guys, more often than not, at some point in our life, we're going to go through something like this emotionally. There's going to be some kind of loss. There's going to be some kind of diagnosis. There's going to be a struggle with a family member. There's going to be a situation where you're dealing with abuse. There's going to be a situation where uh, you're dealing with some kind of addiction. There's going to be situations where you can feel hopeless. Amen? You're going to get there. If you haven't been there yet, you're going to get there. But what God says in his word is there is no such thing as hopeless when he's involved. Amen? Amen. There's no such thing. Even in those situations where it feels so. I've got a passage of scripture I want to read to you uh, from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Now, this is what Paul says to a church dealing with a really tough situation that we think probably felt hopeless for them. We don't know exactly what it was. It may have been a famine. It may have been something else. But there's something going on that this Corinthian church is dealing with. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul writes, Every test that you've experienced is the kind that normally comes to people. But God keeps his promise, and he will not allow you to be tested beyond your power to remain firm. At the time you are put to the test, he will give you the strength to endure it, and provide you with a way out. Now this is an amazing passage of scripture here that has an amazing truth that God shares with us in his word. Guys, we believe the Bible is the word of God. This was originally written to this church in Corinth, but guys, this is a general truth here that is applicable to us as well. And that is, whatever you're facing in life that feels hopeless, whatever situation you're facing that feels dire, you need to first understand that you are not the first one to endure this kind of situation. That diagnosis is new to me. That loss of that job is new to me. That loss of that relationship, that divorce, whatever, all that's new to me because it's not new in God's creation. These are all regular old things that life throws at us that feels anything but regular old whenever we haven't experienced it before, right? But what this says is it's normal. And he goes on to say... That God's not going to allow you to be tested beyond your ability to be faithful to him. And not only that, he's always going to provide a way out of these situations. Now that's good news, right? Especially if you feel lost and hopeless. This is one of those verses that I point to where there's no such thing as hopelessness in the kingdom of God. There is no such thing as a problem that's too big for God to handle. There is no such thing as a situation that God can't help you get through. Amen? Isn't that good news, guys? That's what this teaches. God provides the power and the direction to get out of a situation if we're paying attention to God. Now, that's kind of the premise for our series. And we're going to look at the next few weeks a series of snapshots where people are dealing with situations that are super, super bad. The first one we're going to look at this week is actually the story of Adam and Eve. Now, just to tell you a little bit about Adam and Eve, if you haven't read the story in a while, Genesis 1 through 3, in chapter 1, God creates the world. He creates everything in the world, light, dark, land, water, uh, space, stars, wind, like all that, creatures, everything is created in Genesis chapter 1. The last thing that God creates in Genesis 1 is man and woman. 
And of all the creatures that God made, the man and the woman are the only one created in the image of God. That means that the man and the woman are created inherently differently from a dog or a cat or a monkey. Uh, We have the ability to think rationally and abstractly. We have the ability to reason. We have a sense of humor. We have the ability to verbally speak. More important than anything, we have the ability to make moral choices. We have free will. We, as creatures made in the image of God, have the ability to rebel. Unlike anything else in all creation, we're the only ones that have that proclivity or the ability to rebel. Okay? Very important. We'll talk more about that in a second. Adam and Eve chose to rebel. And we see the fallout from that in all of our jacked up world. Let's jump into this and see preventatively how can we keep ourselves from getting in this situation and also how can we get ourselves out of a situation when we find ourselves in it. Let me pray for us and then we're going to jump into that, okay? God, as we open your word this morning uh, and look at the story of Adam and Eve, I pray we'll draw out the application that we need to, Lord, that we will see what we need to see. God, anytime we open the Bible, uh, the point of it is to do what it says. It's not just to know what it says. And so I pray you help us apply this this morning so that our lives will be changed. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've got some notes in your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, it's going to have an opportunity for you to write some of these down. Um, the way we handle our sermons here at the crossings is generally we, we give out the note sheets and then we actually take those to our small groups and we go over those in our small groups and talk about how to apply God's word. Um, so the first one, God will help me find a way out. If number one, I listen to God and do what he says, God will help me find a way out. If first of all, I listen to God and do what he says. If I'm going to have a life that is blessed and that is full If I'm going to have a life that is the life God designed for me to have, the only way I'm going to have that is if I listen to God and do what he says. That's it. Now, God gave Adam and Eve some instructions, right? It says in Genesis 2, verse 15 and 16, the Lord God put the man in the Garden of Eden to care for it and work it. The Lord God commanded him, you may eat the fruit from any tree in the garden, But you must not eat the fruit from the tree which gives the knowledge of good and evil. If you ever eat fruit from that tree, you will die. Now, I want you to notice here, it says the Lord God put the man in the garden. If you go and study Genesis in chapter 1, the word God, God, God is used, I think, around 30 or more times in Genesis chapter 1. Just the word God. When you get to chapter 2 there's an interesting change in the way God is referred to. It goes from just being like general God to the Lord God. Now, he's called the Lord God anytime he's relating to the man and the woman. And Bible scholars believe that it's presented that way and the name of God is presented that way because the man and the woman were the only creatures in all of God's creation that actually could rebel. And so it's like this this title is, is attributed to him just in relation to them. Why? Well, God is Lord of all. He's Lord of the man and the woman, but the man and the woman created in his image can decide to rebel if they want to. But it's interesting. Lord God is used. Lord God, Lord God is used all through chapter 2. And he gives simple instructions here. The Lord God gives simple instructions to the man. And he says, you can have all of this blessing. You can have all of this around. There's one thing you can't have. And that's this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Guys, what was wrong with this world? Well, at this point in the story, nothing. Some people say, why didn't God create a perfect world? If God is good, why is the world so messed up? Why didn't he just make it perfect? Well, the answer from the Bible is he did make it perfect. What messed it up was the rebellion that the man and the woman introduced into the world. That's what messed it up. At this point in the story, it's a perfect world. And so God gives this command to obey and to stay away from this tree. But then there's this alternative voice that shows up in the story, right? And we know what the alternative voice shows up in the form of here. It's the serpent. It's the devil. It's the evil one. And this alternative voice that shows up in the story is the same alternative voice that shows up in our stories. Whenever you hear a voice or you feel a leading or your proclivities are leading you to a certain thing uh, that is contrary to the will or the word of God, that is, that is, the source of that is not God. The source of that is the evil one. In Genesis 3, uh, it says, Now the snake was the most clever of all the wild animals. The Lord God had made. One day the snake said to the woman, did God really say, now look at, look at how this thing works now. Did God really say that you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? What's he doing? Did God really say that? Are you sure God said that? Are you sure you heard that right? Are you sure you interpreted that correctly? What, is it, what does it mean in Hebrew? You know, he's going back and, and wait, are you sure you're getting this right? And the woman says, the woman answered the snake in verse 2, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God told us you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not even touch it or you will die. But the snake said to the woman, you will not die. God knows that if you eat fruit from that tree, you will learn about good and evil and you'll be like God. Now notice what the snake does here. He doesn't completely change everything, right? Did God really say that? Are you sure? Are you sure you got clarity on that? Eve repeats what God said. Now, had she heard God? She had heard God. She repeats what he said, right? And then Satan comes back and says, yeah, but you know God's just kind of holding out on you, right? You're going to miss out on something, right? Okay? You guys have heard of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. This is what Silicon Valley knows uh, drives your need to get on social media all the time. Why do you look at Facebook 100 times a day? Because you're going to miss out on something if you don't, right? I need to get that little endorphin rush when I get the little bells and notifications. I need to get on that thing. Fear of missing out. For drug addicts, okay? I'm an addict. Uh, I used for years. Whenever some new drug or some new experience would come along and my friends were going to participate, guess what I did? I went right along with them. Why? Because I didn't want to miss out on that experience. I didn't want to miss out. God's holding out on me, right? Uh, That was my rationale for going down the road that I went down for years. Was my mom and dad taught me to follow Jesus, but that's a bunch of hoo-ha, like, They don't know what real life is. I want to go live my life, right? I'm going to miss out if I do this Jesus thing. I don't want to do that. That's the rationale a lot of us use for a lot of different things. It's fear of missing out. It's fear of God holding out on me. It's fear of uh, saying no to this blessing, perceived blessing, right? Adam and Eve were clear on what God said. 
They were clear on what God said. The problem was they were uncommitted to doing what he said. That was the problem. It wasn't that they didn't hear correctly. It's that they didn't want to obey. And this is the thing, man. Satan is always at work trying to get us to believe something uh, that's untrue or just to get us to, to not act on what we know is true. You know, if we have, I, I have habits in my life, guys, that I know are not healthy. Uh, and maybe you do too. What I do when I rationalize those habits away is, you know, I talk myself into how it's not a big deal. Uh, and maybe you do the same thing, right? It's just not that big of a deal. I think that's what Eve did here. You know, it's just not that big of a deal. I just, just a little bite, right? When Adam and Eve sin, though, they reject God as Lord, the Lord God. And when we reject God as Lord, we get ourselves into trouble. When I don't submit to God as Lord, I make myself God. And guess what? I'm not a very good God. I'm not a very good God. I cannot take care of the things God can take care of. But I put myself in that position when I act this way. What I've learned, guys, and I'm not, uh, I'm older than a lot of people in this room. I'm not the oldest, right? I'm 42. Uh, what I have learned, though, just from going through life, is uh, I have learned that God's commands are like guardrails for your life. And I have not always trusted that, uh, but I have learned that God's commands are good. I've learned that by observing uh, things in my own life and also things in the lives of people around me. For instance, when people walk away from the Lord and start doing their own thing, I've seen people wreck their lives. And I have this group of people over here that have wrecked their lives that I've been able to observe over years. And then I've got a group of people over here who have really, not perfectly, but really tried to follow God's commands. And I look at their families and I look at their lives and I see a much different picture over here. Much different picture over here as opposed to those that have just walked away. Over here, much different reality. And uh, that doesn't mean that this group of people over here doesn't have to deal with hardship. They certainly do. But the way they deal with it looks a lot differently than this group over here that doesn't have a relationship with God. The grief that they're able to deal with over here looks a lot differently than the grief this group over here doesn't, doesn't have a relationship with God. There's a totally different mindset an approach to life uh, that comes from having God in your life. And his commandments about relationships and sexuality and ethics and business and uh, money management, like all of this stuff that's in the Bible, if we'll just take what it says and do it, there's blessing in that. But you get yourself into big trouble when you start doing your own thing and usually we start doing our own thing when we think we know some better way, right? Or when we think something, eh, that's not that big a deal. I know better. It always comes back to an I know better or me first kind of attitude that's driving everything. What did Eve do? In this story, guys, Eve looks at the fruit that God said, don't touch, don't eat. She says, but it looks good. It doesn't look that bad. And then she has this other voice over here. Yeah, you're right. He's holding out on you. You should have that. You know what? I should. I know better. She takes it and 
that's what leads it. And then Adam is there. It says Adam was with her. It's not like he was just off in the distance or he was present. You know, the biblical context is he was present. When it says with, it means immediate. He was immediately there. He just stands there and watches. Okay? What was he supposed to do in that situation? He should have stood up and said something. He should have said no. He didn't protect his wife. He wasn't faithful either. He just stood there, and then he followed along with her, right? They were both unfaithful in that instance. It wasn't one or the other. They were both unfaithful. James 1, through 25 says, Obey the word of God. Did Adam and Eve obey the word of God? No, they did not, right? If you hear only and do not act, you're only fooling yourself. Anyone who hears the word of God and does not obey is like a man looking at his face in a mirror. After he sees himself and goes away, he forgets what he looks like. But the one who keeps looking into God's perfect law and does not forget it will do what he says and be happy as he does it. God's word makes men free. I love this passage in James. It's just, if you look in a mirror, what's the point of looking in a mirror? It's to make changes. When you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you're brushing your hair and you're getting your face looking right, you're, you're checking your collar, you're doing all that because you want to be right, right? You want to present yourself correctly. Whenever you look into the Bible, you need to think of it as like looking in a mirror spiritually. You want to look at it and say, where do I need to make changes? What do I need to do in order to make myself presentable here? And guys, that is the point of Bible study. It's not just to win at Bible trivia, right? The point of it is to apply it to your life. That's the point of it. If you're not taking God's word, first of all, if you're not in God's word, you're going to be in trouble. But if you're in God's word but not doing anything it says, you're wasting your time. You need to get into God's word and actually do what it says. And if you come across something in God's word that butts up against what your lifestyle is, like, for instance, drunkenness. If it says quit, quit getting drunk and you say, I like getting drunk. I'm just going to keep doing that, but I won't do this other stuff. Well, okay, that ain't going to work because the thing that you decide you're not going to apply from God's word is going to be the thing that leads to your downfall. And it could be that this one thing Eve did, well, it's just the one thing, right? Well, guys, it was the one thing they couldn't do, right? It's just the one thing. I'm just going to hold on to the one thing. Guys, and I've done this. It never works out. Like that one thing that you're holding on to is going to be the thing that undoes you. In John 13, 17, you know these things. God will bless them if you do them. This is Jesus talking, right? This is uh, after he's given them a lesson that he wanted them to follow. You can know this stuff all day, but you're going to be blessed if what? If you do them. If you come to church on Sundays and you're not taking God's word and actually doing something with it in your life, why are you even coming to church? Why are you wasting your time? You need to take this stuff and do it. The point is application. It's not just information. Transformation comes through application. Okay? Um, Secondly, God will help me find a way out is number two, I refuse to look for gratification outside of God. I refuse to look for gratification outside of God. And this is what Eve did in Genesis 3. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. 
and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. She saw that the tree was beautiful. That's the lust of the eyes. Its fruit looked delicious. That's the lust of the flesh. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. That's the pride of life. Okay? Uh, Choosing personal gratification that runs contrary to what God says. Guys, this is the root sin right here behind the fall of mankind. It's, I have a desire that I want to fulfill, and so I'm going to fulfill this desire in an illegitimate and sinful way. I'm going to fulfill this desire in a way that God says not to fulfill it. That is the root of the fall of man here. And this really is just self-fulfillment. It's all it comes down to. Now, I mentioned those three categories of sin a moment ago. Look at 1 John 2.16. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Guys, lust of the flesh is just bodily fulfillment. This could be sexual stuff. This could be food stuff. It's seeking bodily fulfillment in a sinful way. That's lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. Uh, While this tree is beautiful, the fruit looked beautiful, uh, this is just things that you look at with your eyes and then desire to the point that you're willing to do sinful things to get them. That's the lust of the eyes. Pride of life. I'm going to be better. I'm going to be better than my neighbor. I'm going to be smarter than my neighbor. I'm going to be more wise than my neighbor. Eve says, this is going to make me wise. I'll be as wise as God. Faith is, that's the pride of life. Pride is just a uh, self-centered sort of way of thinking. And it's not necessarily arrogance. It could also be, uh, I'm worse than everyone else, so God could never love me. Well, that's prideful. You're not that special, right? Um, but it's pride that's, that's here. Uh, these three categories of sin show up in a lot of different places. If you look, for instance, the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was tempted from each one of these. Uh, it's kind of interesting how that works. But Eve falls here. Eve falls right into sin. Uh, and so does Adam right along with her. I want to read Romans 13. This is from the Expanded Bible. So this is uh, an amplified Bible. It's good for study. Uh, what they do is they take some of the Greek words of the keywords and they kind of put out the synonyms for them. So you'll kind of see as we go here. Uh, but I like this. Romans 13, 13 and 14 said, uh, let us live or walk in a right way. That means properly or decency, uh, decently like people who belong to the day. We should not have wild parties or get drunk. There should be no sexual sins of any kind, sexual immorality or debauchery or sensuality, no fighting, strife, or quarrels or jealousy, but clothe yourselves with Lord Jesus Christ and forget about satisfying or give, uh, or give no opportunity to the desires of or don't think about ways to gratify your sinful self, the sinful nature, the flesh. Um, This just says right here, man, don't sit around and dwell on how to gratify those sinful desires. This is where I get myself into trouble Uh, as an addict. If I sit around and I'm thinking about, I really want this. Well, how can I get it? Oh, let me come up with a plan. (laughs) You know what I mean? How can I hide it? Uh, This is where my mind goes. Um, And it's, it's true for 
all kinds of different things. We have to be careful where we let our mind go. You know, if you're dating a young lady and you start thinking about, how, how could I get away with this? You know, how could we push the boundaries of purity here? Uh, or if you're dealing in a business, you know, how could, I, how could I fudge a little bit on these numbers to make this a little easier? On You start thinking about ways, and man, it's when you start thinking about coming up with plans, that's when you get yourself into trouble. Uh, that's when you come up with strategies for sin. Um, and so you just have to be careful about your thoughts. And the Bible says you can guard your thoughts, right? You can take every thought captive to Christ. I don't know how disciplined we are when it comes to actually trying to do that, though. Like, what would my day look like if I really took every thought captive to Christ? If I could really do that? And the Bible says that is something I can do. And so it needs to be something we're intentional about. Number three, God will help me find a way out. Is number three, I remember bad decisions have big consequences. Bad decisions have big consequences. Now, in the story of Adam and Eve, after they sin, it says, at that moment, their eyes were opened in 3 verse 7, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, you know, whenever Adam and Eve, whenever creation occurs, the man and the woman are completely naked. They felt no shame. They're completely innocent. There was nothing for them to be ashamed of. But as soon as they sin, as soon as they sin, what is the first thing they do after they sin? They, they cover themselves up. Why? Because they're hiding from one another. The man and the woman in a perfect world had no barriers between themselves, God, and creation. There, were, there was complete harmony. There was complete harmony in this world. As soon as sin enters the world, the first thing to go is that harmony. The first thing to go is that intimate relationship. Because now, instead of being together, the man and the woman are now separated and they actually are covering themselves up because they want to hide from their partner. That's what sin does. It makes you hide. You want to have great relationships? You need to get the sin out of your life. Because sin is a barrier between you and that other person. Sin is also a barrier between you and God. It says uh, in verse 8, they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Who else are they hiding from? Right? They're hiding from one another. They're hiding from God, which doesn't work. They didn't know that. Okay? They're actually trying to hide from God. Doesn't work. You know, and God strolls along. Where are you guys at? Has a little dialogue with them. Not that he needed to ask, right? He has a dialogue with them, and it ends in verse 23, so the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. They're actually cut off from the garden, and that's what sin does. Sin isolates you. Sin makes you hide. Sin cuts you off from God. You lose your fellowship with other people. You lose your fellowship with God. You lose your fellowship with God's creation in the way that he made it to work. You get yourself into trouble, right? In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word death, uh, in the original concept of death is separation. You see this from beginning to end in the Bible. Whenever Adam and Eve sin, they are separated from God. That is death. That is spiritual death. Whenever your spirit separates from your body, in James, we call that 
bodily death, right? There's a separation that's present. Hell is eternal separation from God. That is the second death. It's what the Bible refers to as the second death. That is being cut off from the source of life. That is being cut off from God. There's separation. Death is separation. Sin, the wages of sin, is death. The wages of sin is separation. The Bible teaches you and I, guys, as long as sin is on us, we are separated from God. We do not have fellowship with God. We're cut off from the source of life. And in Galatians, Paul writes to a group of people who believe in Jesus, but they're not treating him as Lord. It says in Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to, to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life. That, he starts this out saying, do not be deceived. Why do you think he says, do not be deceived? Because sin is deceptive. Guys, it is very easy to fall into sin uh, because we forget the wages of sin is death. We minimize it and, and talk it down to the point where we don't apply God's word in certain situations uh, or with certain sins because we have been deceived. By the way, if you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. You're sitting here this morning saying, that's right, yeah, that guy up the street, he's deceived. No, it could be you. You need to be willing to go back and look at uh, God's word and, and just ask the question, have I been deceived about something? Some of you guys have been living in sin and you haven't even realized it because you've been deceived. And when somebody comes along and shares that with you or shows you in God's word how your thinking needs to change or how your actions need to change or often how your values need to change... By the way, if you come to the crossings and you like the crossings, it's because your values align with the crossings. If you come to the crossings and don't like the crossings, it's because your values don't align with the crossings. If there's a value that is present here, we try to make sure those values are from the Word of God. So if you're coming up against something that you don't like, you need to figure out, if, is that something in God's Word that I don't like? Okay, And if, if it is... What needs to change? It could be you have been deceived about something or you have been deceived into embracing a value that runs up against what God's word says. You need to be willing to understand and not to exempt yourself from being deceived. Okay? This can happen to anybody. So don't let it happen to you. Lean into God's word. Number four. God will help me find a way out is, number four, I make the most of the people God places in my life. I make the most of the people God places in my life. It says in Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is right for him. Okay, now this is in Genesis. Whenever it's talking about God making Eve says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Um, this was God's intended uh, role for Eve in Adam's life. We know the story. We know what happens. God makes this helper. He puts him in Adam's life. Then he and his helper are unfaithful. Uh, and then Adam's tune changes by three. It says, uh, the man said... This is after the fall now. 
you gave this woman to me and she gave me fruit from the tree, so I ate it. And the implication is, so God, this is actually your fault. Uh, I, I just did what this thing you put here told me to do, right? Doesn't work that way. Uh, Adam is held responsible, but he's trying to blame God. Now, isn't it interesting how his tune changes in the story? It's interesting how that happens. The thing is, Eve was placed in Adam's life to be a helper. She wasn't placed in Adam's life to be his God. And he treated her as his God when he chose her word over God's word. Your spouse is not your God. Your spouse was never meant to be your God. Don't treat your spouse like your God. And don't use your spouse as an excuse for your own unfaithfulness. It doesn't work. And I see this all the time. I see this all the time. Uh, it does not work. In Galatians 6, says, My friends, you are spiritual. So if someone is trapped in a sin, you should gently lead that person back to the right path. Now, this is spoken to the corrector. In a healthy church, uh, you should have enough friends around you who know you well enough that if you start getting into sin, somebody will come along and say something to you about it. Not in a hateful way, not in a condemning or mean way, but somebody will come and, and say, hey, you're, you're not right with the Lord on this, and I'm concerned about you. That's what will happen in a healthy church. Um, what would have happened if Adam had done this for Eve? Instead of, instead of just standing there and watching this go down, what would have happened if Adam had in, interceded here and said, wait, 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 stop, stop, this can't happen. Remember what God said. We, we need to do what God said. What would have happened if he'd have done that, right? But he didn't do that. And later in the Bible, he's actually the one held responsible for this sin. In, in like Romans 5, if you go read what Paul writes, Paul, uh, uh, Adam is the one that's held responsible for this sin because he just stood by and watched. He didn't say anything. You need to interject and say something. If you love the Lord and you see somebody in, in trouble, there's also a word to be said to the corrected about your attitude. If somebody comes along to you, if you got a brother or sister in Christ that comes and says something to you in the church, sometimes the tendency whenever you're corrected is to get a bad attitude about it and to be self-righteous about it. Now, what if Adam had come to Eve and tried to correct her and then she had gotten self-righteous? Who do you think you are talking to me that way? You know? You know who I am? Do you know who I am? I'm Eve. I'm the mother of all living. You can't talk to me that way. Uh, you can get arrogant about it, right? Here's God's word to the corrected in Psalms 145. This is from the expanded Bible. If a good or righteous person punished or hit me, that would be kind, an act of loyalty. If he corrected me, that would be like perfumed oil on my head. I, my head, should not refuse it. It says in the NIV, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The implication is if you have a friend who loves the Lord and loves you, they're going to come and tell you hard stuff if they need to. If you're getting into trouble, if you're driving straight toward a brick wall and your friend sees it and doesn't come and say, hey, there's a brick wall up there, take the foot off the gas and turn to the right, that friend isn't really your friend. And guys, this stuff is either true or it's not. Like, God's word is either God's word or it's not. If it is, 
We need to not get bent out of shape when somebody comes and says, hey, this is in God's word and this, you're, you're out of line here. It is not that big of a deal to take correction if this stuff is true. If it's not true and we're just sort of winging it, this is all pointless. Anyway, so why are we here? But seriously, people come to church sometimes and they get all bent out of shape whenever people actually ask them to follow God's word. Like, it's really insane sometimes. The, the rationale and the stances we will take and the mental hoops we will jump through to justify our bad behavior. Guys, we have got to grow up and just take God's word and do what it says. It's not that hard to understand. Is it hard to do? Yeah, because I got to get out of the way, right? Um, but it can be done. And I'll just say, you know, this idea that the God places people in my life and that there's big consequences. Um, guys, again, I have seen just, I've been doing ministry for about 20 years. I've got a, a Rolodex of families and cases and just things in my mind. When I'm talking to you guys, when I'm standing up here talking to you guys about this stuff, and I'm telling you, whenever somebody comes to you with God's word and, and presents it and says, you need to do this, you need to follow this. Guys, I have got names and faces of people that for me come to mind where I'm like, where's that person at now? Where's that person at now? Where's that person at now? And on both sides of the fence, like I could just draw a line in my mind. There are people that I have seen that have been faithful, that have taken correction that have gotten serious about their relationship with God. And I look at their lives and I look at what's happening. I look at how God is using them. I look at the result, the fruit of their life. That just means result. I look at the people they've influenced. I look at uh, the situations they're in with their families. I look at the way their kids are turning out. It is a different picture than over here where maybe there's a, a, a somebody that just decided they, they weren't about it. Or somebody that decided uh, they were going to be kind of half-hearted in their commitment. Or somebody that decided they were going to believe some weird New Age you know, stuff that didn't really line up with the Bible, but they were going to reconcile that with the Bible somehow. Or uh, they weren't going to listen to people when they gave them advice about how to raise their children. They were just going to do their own thing. They weren't going to discipline their kids. They didn't need to. They could just talk to them, and they would learn, right? Uh, like there's just all these things. And then I look at how those kids and those families are turning out. The difference between them guys is not talent. It's not uh, smarts. It's not money. The difference between these two camps is you've got a group of people over here who listen to the people that God put in their life, who were coming to them with God's word and saying, you need to listen to this. You need, to, you need to do what he says. And then you've got a group of people over here who just decided not to. For whatever reason, and there's a cadre of them, okay? Uh, and the results of those lives are much, much different. The results of those families are much, much different. The results of those kids and the way those kids are turning out are much, much different. You know, when you get calls about overdoses and, and so-and-so died, when, when you hear about, you know, so-and-so got into a, a relationship with this boy, uh, and they ended up getting married, and then he ended up abusing the kids. Like, when you start hearing just all of these different things, 
Guys, there are real-world consequences to these choices that we make. And you are in a church where, guys, if you stick around and and make friends here and plug in, you're going to be surrounded with people who are going to be bringing you God's word and who are going to be coaching you and who are going to be, if they see you getting into trouble, people are going to say something. And it's not from this religious looking down on you, judgmental, it's, hey, I'm your friend, let's talk about this kind of thing. The difference between those that thrive and don't, honestly, are oftentimes this. Are you going to take it serious? Are you going to take advantage of the people God puts in your life? Or are you just going to make this like a social club where you can come in and check the box? I attend every once in a while. You know, maybe we'll go to, go to something every once in a while. Are you really going to jump in? Guys, the difference in your life and the difference in your family's life is whether you're going to jump in or not and take advantage of those relationships or not. Guys, I'm, I believe if Adam and Eve had been who they were created to be for one another, the fall would never have occurred. Because there would have been, there would have been help. But they weren't who they needed to be for each other. And as a result, they got into big trouble. Lastly, God will help me find a way out as I, number five, <coughs> always be open and honest with God. Always be open and honest with God. It says in Genesis 3.8, they heard God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze. The man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden, hid from God, which, again, didn't work, wouldn't have worked. God kind of seems to humor them for a minute. Um, anybody in here have pets? Anybody? Okay, quite a few. When I get home, I've got a dog named Roxy. Uh, many of you know Roxy. Roxy's really smart. She's a smart dog. Uh, like, we can throw her in the backyard and leave her out there. She'll figure out a way to open the back door. Like, she's one of those. Um, so when I get home, if Roxy is really happy to see me and she's running up, like, if I go out of town, like this past week I went out of town for a few days, I came home, Roxy will sit and cry for, like, five minutes when I get home. It's just, it's really cool. She makes a bigger deal out of my coming home than my kids do. Uh, so just sit, let her cry. But now if I come home from, from being somewhere and Roxy has her tail between her legs and she's running away from me, guess what that tells me? Roxy did something she wasn't supposed to do, right? Roxy peed on the floor or did something somewhere that she wasn't supposed to do. Because uh, there's shame and there's guilt. We can be the same way with God. When we screw up, we can, we can tuck our tail and we can run and hide. And that's what Adam and Eve did. That's the natural proclivity to, uh, that, that's the result of shame. We have a lot of addicts in here. We have a lot of people that struggle in here. Uh, I talk with a lot of uh, men that struggle with addictions to pornography. I was uh, addicted to pornography for a long time. Whenever you mess up, when you've been trying to do good and you mess up, it almost feels like you can't even pray. You know, it just feels unnatural to go and talk to the Lord if you feel like you've offended him. I want you to know that you don't need to be that way with the Lord. Guilt is good in the sense that it alerts you to a problem, kind of like your check engine light. Whenever the check engine light comes on, it tells you something's wrong. Guilt is meant, it's designed by God and meant to remind us that something's wrong. It is not designed for us to just sit on and not do anything with, you know? Your check engine light comes on, you don't, you don't go hide your car. What do you do? You take it to the shop and get it worked on. 
Coming back to the Lord and getting your heart right with the Lord after you've messed up is like going to the shop and getting it worked on. He's the source of good. He's the source of comfort. He's the source of making things right. If you're going to get right, it's going to be with his help. It's not going to be because you're hiding from him or staying distant from him. You need to lean into your relationship with God when you've messed up. And Adam and Eve, uh, just natural proclivity, guys. When you mess up, you want to hide from God. You want to put distance between yourself and God. That's what they did, but that's not what you and I should do. We should know better. Uh, in 1 John 1, and it says, If we say that we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, what does this say? God will what? God will forgive us. We can trust God to do this. He will make us clean from all the wrong we have done. Now, implicit in that, guys, is when we confess our sin, God's expectation is not that we just continue in sin. Uh, this is all through the Bible, the idea of repentance, right? When you screw up, what do you need to do? You need to get up and dust yourself off and try again. Could be you need to ask for help. With those guys that I mentioned uh, a second ago, struggling with porn, right? You want to know how I got over porn? Whenever I was in college, Bible college years ago, I had a little small Bible study group that got together. It was me and a bunch of my old friends that I used to do drugs with. We, we became Christians kind of at the same time. We went out and started sharing with our other friends. We used to meet at this little coffee shop. And there was this kid that had become a Christian like the week before and we had him come to our men's group that we had meeting up at the coffee shop. And this kid who had just become a Christian said, well, we, we were going around the circle. How's your week? How's your week? How's your week? Finally, he gets to this guy and he said, well, I've not had a very good week. I just became a Christian two days ago. Yesterday, I went to hang out with some friends. I smoked the joint with them. And then I looked at porn last night. And we were just like, whoa, okay. Uh, and then... The next guy shared, well, I, I've got this going on. I screwed up, too. We went around the circle. Every single person in the circle uh, had screwed up and, and looked at porn that week. It was all young men, right? And so all of us confessed that in that circle. And we said, okay, well, we're, we all are struggling with the sin. What are we going to do about it? We decided that from that group, the next week we were going to meet again, and we were just going to talk about how we had done that prior week with that sin, we all put software on our computers that emailed every website we went to to somebody else. And so we put things in place to kind of protect us. Guess what? The next week we got together, there were like seven of us in that group. Guess how many had looked at porn that week? Zero. So you got a group of seven young men that were all struggling with this sin. We got together in the name of Jesus. We confessed our sin we decided we would hold one another accountable and we were going to get together the next week and talk about it. So there was this idea of, okay, I'm going to get asked about this, right? And we all stopped, all of us. Now, that went on for months, right? There were some screw-ups here and there, but guess what happened? Whenever somebody would fall into that sin and they would come back to that group the next week, guess what they would do? They would confess it with their mouths, to other people. And we would pray for one another. And over time, that little group of guys who had all been addicted to that sin, 
who had all been struggling and feeling ashamed, who had all been distant from God and one another because they were carrying this secret around, suddenly were finding healing from this. And guys, that's exactly what the Bible says in James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you will be healed. It doesn't say so that you will be forgiven. It says so that you will be healed. There are certain things that you can struggle with that are shameful. There are things and sins that you can struggle with that you don't want to tell anybody about. But let me tell you what. If you will be brave and courageous and talk with somebody spiritual, like the Bible says, like your spiritual leader or people that are further down the road than you are, if you will talk with them and tell them about this and ask for prayer, you can be healed from that stuff that is plaguing you and following you around. There's healing for this. But it takes your applying God's word to your life and doing what it says. If you just take this and and hear it, but don't do it, guess what? It's not going to do you any good. But if you will take what God says and not just know it, if you will apply it, you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. We're going to wrap up this morning. Uh, I do want to encourage you. There's a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. I want to encourage you to pull that out. Uh, and that's going to be an opportunity for you to respond. If you're new to the crossings, I would like to invite you to connect today. Uh, we have a lot of different stuff going on uh, in the community. Uh, this week we have kids camp. Uh, so there's a lot of our members that are going to be gone. Uh, if you guys, is anybody in here excited for camp? They're not in here. Okay. What about you junior hires? You get to go next week, right? All right. Uh, well, for those that are going, it's going to be fun. Camp is big for us here. Uh, we see a lot of transformation and good things that happen as a result of camp. Um, and so it's, it's been something that's really been good for my kids. It'll be good for your kids, too. If you want to learn more about camps, there is information on the back of your bulletin. Uh, it's got all the dates and everything on there. Uh, but guys, in addition to big stuff that we do, I want to invite you, if you're visiting the crossings, just to connect today. Go to lunch with somebody. Uh, go to one of our small groups for the adults that are, uh, that are available for you. Uh, if you're a teen, guys, nearly every week on Tuesdays uh, for teens and college students, we've been getting together up at Troy, uh, the park at Troy. Uh, is that Tri-County or Tri-City? Tri-County Park. Uh, love for you to come. We're up there at 7 on Tuesdays. Um, we're a church of small groups. We've got uh, small groups for all ages. Um, we would love for you to participate if, uh, if that's something you're interested in. Basically, if you're visiting here, there's all kinds of ways for you to make friends. That's the next step for you, whatever that looks like. We would like to encourage you just to make some friends that are members here at the church. Get to know them. Let us get to know you and your story. Uh, we would love to f- learn what makes you tick and what your dreams are and what you think God is going to use you to do in the world, and we'd love to help you accomplish that because we love people that dream big. We believe God dreams big, and we should too. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song. That's going to give you an opportunity to fill that card out. Uh, and any needs you need, just write it down there. And then uh, we will sing one more song after that and pass some baskets And that will give you an opportunity to drop your card in the basket. Uh, Let me pray for us and then we'll move on. 
God, uh, thank you for bringing us together today. Uh, thank you for your word. Uh, Father, I pray that we will take it and apply it. Uh, help us to uh, be the people that you call us to be and that you created us to be so that we can do the things that you've created us to do. God, I want to pray a blessing on everybody going to camp this week, that uh, we can have a great time with the kids and for our other camps coming up this summer. Uh, Lord, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.